Hello and welcome to the Lazy Book Club podcast, the book club for those who don't want to read or leave the house. My name is Matt Gonzalez. Mmm, it's David Cox. And ah, it's Josh Matheson. (laughs) (laughs) This episode is brought to you by our Patreon subscribers who support this podcast. So big massive thank you to everybody out there who has subscribed on our Patreon. If you are not a Patreon subscriber, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash lazy book club pod. Where for the very small fee of $3 a month, you get an extra episode as well as access to the videos that we record for these podcasts as well. This week we are looking at chapter 8 of the 39 steps. Now, last week we thought it was going to be quite boring because it was just the fly, dry fly fisherman. Fly, dry, dry fly. Well, I fly pretty, pretty west to the birth and the big bass. That's what it sounds like. I don't know why I didn't think about that last week. It does, doesn't it? I'm not not wrong. (laughs) I'm not wrong. This is jam (laughs) hearts. Well, we thought it was going to be boring because it didn't say the adventures of. So we thought, oh, okay, it's not even exciting enough to be called an adventure. But actually, it was Hanay kind of finally falling down the rabbit warren of espionage in MI6 British intelligence. He's meeting all the top bods in the foreign office. And, you know, they've obviously done their research on him because they're calling him by his real name and other things like that, which he didn't actually give anybody. So we also found out last week that he is no longer being hunted for the murder of Scudder. So that's good news. The police are no longer after him because Scudder left a note for the foreign office person saying, I'm staying with a friend. And so they were like, well, a friend doesn't kill a friend. So it couldn't possibly have been him. I think it was a much more trusting time when this was written. And most importantly, he's no longer crawling through the heather in Scotland. He's back in England. He's back in boring London. (laughs) I know. Maybe he's just going to camp out in St. James's Park because he's like sort of misses it. It's like, yeah, ah, I, I, I became one with the friendly squirrels. I don't know if you saw the um, the social media post I put out for last week's episode. Uh, but I did a little a little map of like his journey back to from Scotland to the yeah. south, and it says that uh, this places it said in the chapter the places he stopped off on the train and where he changed and stuff, and eventually he ended up in a a village. Called, I think it was called Artenswell, which I found out is fictional because I googled it Aww. and it doesn't exist. So, so that ruined your map. <laughs> yeah, it did a bit. <laughs> I had to just stop short. <laughs> if you do it to lots more like real places, you could have created a bit of a tourist map for yeah, it's you true. know, like some 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 you know fictional works do. You can go to real places, but um, mm. not so much Ooh. this one. Just think what Dan Brown's books have done for like you know Rome yeah. and. Washington as well because he's got a few that are placed in different places around the world and when I went to Rome I did see a lot of Americans walking around with the angels and demons but going this is where the cardinal dies (laughs) (laughs) like it's not real guys it's it's made up like calm down (laughs) it is is where the Roman Empire was but yeah yeah go with your angels and demons yeah exactly (laughs) let's make that that's why Rome is interesting not because of all the history that happened there it's a bit like Harry (laughs) Harry Potter with Oxford it's like oh that's kind of where the Great Hall is it's like yeah but it's also an 800 year old university yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) exactly it's impressive in its own right without it being yeah but Hagrid was there (laughs) yeah Hagrid is fake anyway (laughs) The uh, the next chapter was called The Coming of the Black Stone. Now, we, we've worked Ooh. out the Black Stone is the bad kind of group, isn't well, it? I the name so. of their... We're guessing it's the, their version of, like, you know, the syndicate, the... I'm trying to think of other 
baddies kind of yes, name. Yes. <laughs> bad groups. Bad groups of people. From Born Identity, there's Treadstone, isn't it? The baddies. The batters from Corrie, they're pretty bad. Mm. Blazing Squad um, were quite bad, weren't they? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they were definitely on the dark side. The Empire, Piers Morgan. Oh, he's just Piers... <laughs> sorry, he's not, really, he's not really part of a group, is he? Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're not very good at coming up with uh, cool names. For... Oh, Syndicate's Mission Impossible, isn't it? That was there. That's the I'll bad, the, the bad group know. in that. I think. Okay. Anyway, we're going to find out more about the baddies, and hopefully, we might find out more as to why they actually wanted. Oh, the guy's dead as well. Sorry, that oh, was yeah, the big was news like, flash, oh, wasn't it? The big up. actual big thing was that Caroline, Caroline has been murdered. <laughs> yeah, because your man, your man spent the whole time going like, oh, that's he couldn't possibly be killed. Be. He's way he too nice. Everybody loves him. I love to think that hand went, ah! Yeah! Like <laughs> your face! In I your knew face! It, I knew it! You're wrong! You're wrong! I knew it! I knew it! Intelligence the Day! Oh, ironic! The man is dead! I was right! The man is Being dead! Being right is the best place to be in the world! That's right! Yeah. Well, on that note, should we uh, dive right into Chapter 8 and find out how Hane is going to help these intelligence people with their uh, counter-attack. Conspiracies. Mm. Let's Let's give it a go. Here we go. Chapter 8. The Coming of the Black Stone. I came down to breakfast next morning, after eight hours of blessed, dreamless sleep, to find Sir Walter decoding a telegram in the midst of muffins and marmalade. His fresh rosiness of yesterday seemed a thought tarnished. I had a busy hour on the telephone after you went to bed, he said. I got my chief to speak to the First Lord and the Secretary for War, and they are bringing Royer over a day sooner. This wire clinches it. He will be in London at five. Odd that the code word for a sous-chef d'etat major general should be porker. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that's just mean isn't it is he, is that's, he a proper, like, that's a proper like uh like dre- uh, a changing room slash playground nickname oh porker yeah, definitely porker. um <coughs> secretary for war is that a position that only exists in government at, at wartime to, is that one that's like brought they in do a and point, then they do, they do a point one in times of war is there okay so it's one well, that's that like retired out of, in peacetime well, there's always a spare one, isn't there? Because you've got a uh, minister without portfolio, and they obviously have that just in case they need it. Right. They, okay. It sometimes becomes like the minister for flooding. Oh no, there was it was that's the one I remember. It was called it was like the minister for rain because there was a big drought and they needed someone. that was like, <laughs> and that's true. That's good. I remember that. So that might become the minister for war, and he just comes out and goes, "What is it good for?" <laughs> <laughs> he directed me to the hot dishes and went on. Not that I think it will do much good. If your friends were clever enough to find out the first arrangement, they are clever enough to discover the change. I would give my head to know where the leak is. We believed there were only five men in England who knew about Royer's visit, and you may be certain there were fewer in France, for they managed these things better there. 
While I ate, he continued to talk, making me, to my surprise, a present of his full confidence. Can the dispositions not be changed? I asked. They could, he said. But we want to avoid that, if possible. They are the result of immense thought, and no alteration would be good. Besides, on one or two points, change is simply impossible. Still, something could be done, I suppose, if it were absolutely necessary. But you see the difficulty, Hannay. Our enemies are not going to be such fools as to pick Royer's pocket or any childish game like that. They know that would mean a row and put us on our guard. Their aim is to get the details without any one of us knowing, so that Royer will go back to Paris in the belief that the whole business is still deadly secret. If they can't do that, they fail, for once we suspect, they know that the whole thing must be altered. Then we must stick by the Frenchman's side till he's home again, I said. If they thought they could get the information in Paris, they would try there. It means that they have some deep scheme on foot in London, which they reckon is going to win out. Royer dines with my chief, and then comes to my house, where four people will see him. Whitaker from the Admiralty, myself, Sir Arthur Drew, and General Winstanley. The First Lord is ill, and has gone to Sheringham. At my house, he will get a certain document from Whitaker, and after that he will be moted to Portsmouth, where a destroyer will take him to Havre. His journey is too important for the ordinary boat train. He will never be left unattended for a moment till he is safe on French soil. The same with Whitaker till he meets Royer. That is the best we can do, and it's hard to see how there can be any miscarriage. But I don't mind admitting that I'm horribly nervous. This murder of Carolides will play the deuce in this chancelleries of Europe. So just to check, I mean, have I had a stroked off for a second? Royer, who, who is Royer again? Yeah, I don't know. He seems to be a French person. Is he the French leader? Or someone who works in some kind of intelligence? Because basically they're saying, we've got information we need to get to France. So the French guy's coming. The admiral guy's going to give him the letter. And we will basically ship him back by destroyer to make sure that nothing happens. Just looks, I just looked up Royer and it's an expensive microphone. <laughs> uh, very good very good right now. UK, uh, very very decent for spounder 1200 pounds nice. good grief maybe that's, um, they're bringing over some really expensive sound equipment yeah that's, yeah, that's for, for spying it's for spying that's what it's for or i've got joseph nicolas here we go joseph nicolas pancras a French composer, harpsichordist, organist, and administrator, seventeen oh three to seventeen fifty five. Yeah, that's our man. Yes, that's it. That's him. That's the yeah. one. They're passing on the Royer. new seventeen oh three. A term used to describe a man too good for his surroundings, aka meaning a player or a pimp. I don't think that's <laughs> him. He's a pimp. That's one of those. A microphone, a pimp, or a harpsichordist. Or we just forgot when it was mentioned earlier. I just looked it up on Royer. So Royer is basically just a Frenchman 
in possession of the key intelligence wanted by the Black Stone. That's literally what's written in the summary oh, as to who he so is. He's not so it's right. very generic. So I don't think we've necessarily missed anything key in terms of who he is as a person, because who he is doesn't seem to matter. What matters is what he's carrying, which is obviously a piece of information that the Black Stone really want. We haven't been told what that is, though. After breakfast, he asked me if I could drive a car. Well, you'll be my chauffeur today and wear Hudson's rig. You're about his size. You have a hand in this business and we are taking no risks. They are desperate men against us who will not respect the country retreat of an overworked official. When I first came to London, I had bought a car and amused myself with running about the south of England, so I knew something of the geography. I took Sir Walter to town by the Bath Road and made good going. It was a soft, breathless June morning, with a promise of sultriness later, but it was delicious enough swinging through the little towns with their freshly watered streets and past the summer gardens of the Thames Valley. I landed Sir Walter at his house in Queen Anne's Gate punctually by half-past eleven, The butler was coming up by train with the luggage. The first thing he did was to take me round to Scotland Yard. There we saw a prim gentleman with a clean-shaven lawyer's face. "'I've brought you the Portland Place murderer,' was Sir Walter's introduction. The reply was a wry smile. "'And then the lawyer speaks. Uh, "'Well, it's it's a lawyer. He's got a lawyer's face.' (laughs) Whatever that yeah, means. no, so he's Scotland Yard, so he's a police officer, isn't he? Yeah, but with the face the of a lawyer. The prim gentleman with a clean-shaven uh, lawyer's face. But if he, if he, if they say he looks like a, a lawyer, so it's like, can we, can we make him sound like he's a bit stuck up, but not in posh? Just like, you know, just like really just quite obnoxious. Oh, it's just condescending. Like everything's like yeah, down like, to somebody, um, like idiot. So, like, of course it's this. Yeah, so I was walking the beat the other day. Um, Everything's a bit <laughs> abrasive. The reply was a wry smile. It would have been a welcome present, Bullivant. This, I presume, is Mr. Richard Hannay, who for some days greatly interested my department. (laughs) That actually fits quite well. (laughs) Mr. Hannay will interest it again. He has much to tell you, but not today. For certain grave reasons, his tale must wait for four hours. Then I can promise you, you will be entertained and possibly edified. I want you to assure Mr. Hannay that he will suffer no further inconvenience. This assurance was promptly given. You can take up your life where you left off, I was told. Your flat, which probably you no longer wish to occupy, is waiting for you, and your man is still there. As you were never publicly accused, we considered that there was no need of a public exculpation. But on that, of course, you must please yourself. We may want your assistance later on, McGilvery, Sir Walter said as we left. Then he turned me loose. Come and see me tomorrow, Hannay. I needn't tell you to keep deadly quiet. If I were you, I would go to bed for you must have considerable arrears of sleep to overtake. You had better lie low, for if one of your black stone friends saw you, there might be trouble. I felt curiously at a loose end. 
At first, it was very pleasant to be a free man, able to go where I wanted without fearing anything. I had only been a month under the ban of the law, and it was quite enough for me. I went to the Savoy and ordered very carefully a very good luncheon, and then smoked the best cigar the house could provide. But I was still feeling nervous. When I saw anybody look at me in the lounge, I grew shy and wondered if they were thinking about the murder. I mean, the Savoy's an expensive hotel. It reminds you how much money this guy has. But also, it's like always a bit unsure about going out in public and going to like the place where you literally go there to be seen. Yeah. (laughs) He's not picked a conspicuous spot, is he? No. No. I suppose this puts the... Uh, the disparity, I guess, between his his life before and how rich he was on the more he's been living for the last yeah. month. Like it's, it's a true. real kind of it's a real sort of change of change of pace and change of scene for him. Which is I'm almost quite amazed that there wasn't more moaning from him. When yeah, he, was he didn't on the moan yeah. really. <laughs> kind of yeah. Yeah. Knowing how pampered he probably was, I was expecting him to be this really like the whole time just being like, "Ugh, I miss my silk sheets." Egyptian cotton pods, the yeah. man, you know, cooking him eggs every morning or whatever. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm just amazed that there was a, a lot more kind of like, you know, oh, I got blisters on the first day from an hour's walking because I've never had to walk this far before or my yeah, legs so, falling I mean, off. Hats off. Hats off to the guy. So yeah, no, he well. definitely rose to the occasion. I think it was partly, though, because he saw it as a bit of a game. Yeah. He was definitely yeah. enjoying the... Well, doing doing silly things. The with thrill. Like we decided. Yeah. It almost comes from the naivety of somebody who doesn't think they could die. Do you know what I mean? Because they almost don't quite understand the gravity of the situation that they found themselves in. He did sort of throw himself in. Not that this was a reference he would understand, but as if he was playing a video game and he's like, well, I've got unlimited lives. This is what I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. he's literally playing it like he was playing Goldeneye or something like that, like on the N64. After that, I took a taxi and drove miles away up into North London. I walked back through fields and lines of villas and terraces and then slums and mean streets, and it took me pretty nearly two hours. All the while, my restlessness was growing worse. I felt that great things, tremendous things were happening or about to happen, and I, who was the cogwheel of the whole business, was out of it. Royer would be landing at Dover, Sir Walter would be making plans with the few people in England who were in in the secret, and somewhere in the darkness the black stone would be working. I felt the sense of danger and impending calamity, and I had the curious feeling too that I alone could avert it, alone could grapple with it. But I was out of the game now. How could it be otherwise? It was not likely that cabinet ministers and admiralty lords and generals would admit me to their councils. I mean, does this not sound like delusions of grandeur here? It's like, I've finally passed the case on to the professionals, but I think I'm the only person who can actually stop this thing. It's like, no, the pros have got the information now, Hannah. Just take a seat. 
stop walking around in public because you're actually a liability right now because you know way more information than you should have no training for interrogation and should probably not be anywhere where someone can just pluck you off the street and start waterboarding this is what we this is what we love about like a cop drama or something (laughs) it's when the little beat cop who's clearly like brand new to the job like starts the case gets taken over by major crimes and they're like but i still want to finish yeah that is true (laughs) we love it (laughs) I actually began to wish that I could run up against one of my three enemies. That would lead to developments. I felt that I wanted enormously to have a vulgar scrap with those gentry, where I could hit out and flatten something. I was rapidly getting into a very bad temper. I didn't feel like going back to my flat. That had to be faced some time, but as I still had sufficient money, I thought I would put it off till next morning and go for a hotel for the night. My irritation lasted through dinner, which I had at a restaurant in German Street. I was no longer hungry, and let several courses pass untasted. Ugh, you're the worst. That is not acceptable. No, absolutely outrageous. They're just sending stuff out, you're like... "Mm." Here's the starter. Yeah, I didn't want the starter. Could you imagine again. just going in and being like, yeah, I'll have the set five-course meal, and then just not eat any of it. Like, what is the point? Yeah. And that's not even like he ordered a pudding and then decided he was too full. Several courses passed, yeah. it, passed it on taste. Not, not okay. No. Are you sure you want this next one, sir? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then <laughs> still send it back. Like They've yeah. done all of the like, presenting it all lovely with like a little bit of gold leaf on there, perhaps. And it's like, no, mm. sorry. I, I bet just... <laughs> <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> I mean, to we'll be just fair, get, we'll just get the bleeper out for that one. <laughs> it's been nearly two years. I'm amazed that someone is hasn't that, slipped up like that before. Thing? Yeah, that no, is. It's my first f bomb. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, I reckon there's a velute in there somewhere. This sounds sure. like the kind of pretentious place where that. Yeah, exactly. There'll be a foam. There'll Seaweed, be some kind of popcorn. I reckon a stewed pear for dessert. Do you know what I mean? Those annoying ones where it's like, why is it fancy desserts are always so rubbish and unsatisfying? Like, don't give me stewed fruit in port. Like, just give me something chocolate. Just give me an apple crumble. Just give me something that's like filling and comforting. Yeah, you know, but fancy desserts are always so boring and rubbish. And they come over and they burst your aromosphere so that you can take it. Sounds. We obviously go to very different restaurants. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. They don't do that at Nando's. No, they (laughs) don't. (laughs) Oh, well, I've just looked up. I've just looked up a. um, This is from the East Riding Museum's website. An Edwardian dinner. Okay. And this is a Mrs. Beaton. I don't know if you've heard of Mrs. Beaton. She's like the. the, um, The. uh, think of any sort. I can't. Uh, the Mary Berry. Let's go, Mary Berry of the time. Delia Smith of her day. Delia Smith. The first, yeah. the first celebrity. The first celebrity chef. My mum's actually inherited one of the original 19th century books, and there's a whole chapter on how to how to organise your servants. It's really. Do we do that? Do we do that? Book? <laughs> do we do that book next? That's I'd love hilarious. To. <laughs> That's so funny. So, so this is the options of a menu. Uh, oh, is, is this clear card of mock, variety? Clear mock mock turtle soup. Hey. I guess. Oh yeah, that's made perch, an appearance before. Perch, I think that's fish perch. stewed with wine, yeah, fish. fried eels, yeah, yeah. Uh, fried eels, oysters, hashed wild duck. Sounds right. Okay, that sounds saddle right. Saddle of mutton, partridges. Okay. 
Russian salad, if you're in a hurry. Uh, cabinet pudding. <laughs> cabinet pudding. What is that? What is cabinet pudding? I don't know. Marble jelly ices. Uh, we've got boiled soles, lobster sauce, red mullet. Oh, Sounds good. No. Coburg puddings, green gauge tarts, blancmange. Is this one blancmange? This is all different things. I don't know what the order oh, is. These are the things all in the there. cookbook. And then the other, and then right at the bottom, it just says gorgonzola. <laughs> oh, a bit of cheese at the end. Just a hunk of it. Meals in these days always seem to have the same like ingredients. It's always the same mutton, perch, like partridge. Always, it's like there's never just chicken. Well, that's what they had available. Pork. They would have gone out on the on the hunt to catch the fowl. Well, this is what I mean, though. They they always have like some weird thing, like it's like oh pigeon pie or something like that, and you're just like fowl. Yeah, it's like just give me just give me a chicken. Like, I don't I don't need something that was like <laughs> caught. Yeah, not something that was caught in the park opposite. Like just been those, shot in Trafalgar Square. All those random know, chickens it's... that are running around London. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, okay. <laughs> fair point. Fair point. <laughs> I drank the best part of a bottle of Burgundy, but it did nothing to cheer me. <laughs> An abominable restlessness had taken possession of me. Here was I, a very ordinary fellow with no particular brains, and yet I was convinced that somehow I was needed to help this business through, that without me it would all go to blazes. I told myself it was sheer silly conceit that four or five of the cleverest people living with all the might of the British Empire at their back had the job in hand, yet I couldn't be convinced. It seemed as if a voice kept speaking in my ear, telling me to be up and doing, or I would never sleep again. The upshot was that about half past nine, I made up my mind to go to Queen Anne's Gate. Very likely I would not be admitted, but it would ease my conscience to try. I walked down German Street, and at the corner of Duke Street passed a group of young men. They were in evening dress, had been dining somewhere, and were going on to a music hall. One of them was Mr. Marmaduke Jopley. He's back! He gets out. He saw me and stopped short. By God, the murderer! (sighs) He cried. Here, you fellows, hold him! That's Hannay, the man who did the Portland Place murder. He gripped me by the arm, and the others crowded round. I wasn't looking for any trouble, but my ill temper made me play the fool. A policeman came up, and I should have told him the truth, and if he didn't believe it, demanded to be taken to Scotland Yard, or for that matter, to the nearest police station. But a delay at that moment seemed to me unendurable and the sight of Marmy's imbecile face was more than I could bear. I let out with my left, and had the satisfaction of seeing him measure his length in the gutter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love the way you put that. It's like, what happened? Oh, he's just measuring his length. It's like, <laughs> you hit him and he's fallen down into the gutter. <laughs> That's correct. You're seeing how long the gutter is. <laughs> <laughs> so funny good <laughs> phrase it's really good i enjoyed that then began an unholy row they were all on me at once and the policeman took me in the rear <laughs> 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 not so good to turn a phrase <laughs> uh... <laughs> 
I got in one or two good blows, <laughs> for I think with fair play, I could have licked the lot of them. But the policeman oh, pinned no. me behind, and one of them got his fingers on my throat. <laughs> oh, yes. Through a black cloud of rage, I heard the officer of the law asking what was the matter, and Marmy, between his broken teeth, declaring that I was Hannay the murderer. Oh, damn it all! I cried. Make the fellow shut up. I advise you to leave me alone, constable. Scotland Yard knows all about me and you'll get a proper wigging if you interfere with me. And then the policeman speaks. Can we just do the typical, because we didn't do it last time, and he, this guy's a beat cop. Hello, hello, Can we do that? Yeah. Hello, hello, hello. Edwardian, hello, hello, hello. There's going to be one in every... We need to return characters in all of our... It's true. Why isn't there a pigeon? Why isn't there a talking pigeon? In I know. <laughs> You've got to come along with me, young man, said the policeman. I saw you strike that gentleman, cruel lad. You began it too, for he wasn't doing nothing. I seen you. Best go quietly, or I'll have to fix you up. Exasperation and an overwhelming sense that at no cost must I delay gave me the strength of a bull elephant. I fairly wrenched the constable off his feet, floored the man who was gripping my collar, and set off at my best pace down Duke Street. I heard a whistle being blown and the rush of men behind me. I have a very fair turn of speed, and that night I had wings. In a jiffy I was in Pall Mall and had turned down towards St James's Park. I dodged the policeman at the palace gates, dived through the press of carriages at the entrance to the mall, and was making for the bridge before my pursuers had crossed the roadway. In the open ways of the park I put on a spurt. Happily there were few people about, and no one tried to stop me. I was staking all on getting to Queen Anne's Gate. When I entered that quiet thoroughfare it seemed deserted. Sir Walter's house was in the narrow part and outside it three or four motor-cars were drawn up. I slackened speed some yards off and walked briskly up to the door. If the butler refused me admission, or if he even delayed to open the door, I was done. He didn't delay. I had scarcely rung before the door opened. I must, I must see Sir Walter, I panted. My, my business is desperately important. That butler was a great man. Without moving a muscle, he held the door open and then shut it behind me. Sir Walter is engaged, sir, and I have orders to admit no one. Perhaps you will wait. The house was of the old-fashioned kind, with a wide hall and rooms on both sides of it. At the far end was an alcove with a telephone and a couple of chairs, and there the butler offered me a seat. See here, I whispered. There's trouble about, and I'm in it. But Sir Walter knows that I'm working for him. If anyone comes and asks if I am here, tell him a lie. He nodded, and presently there was a noise of voices in the street and a furious ringing at the bell. I never admired a man more than that butler. He opened the door and with a face like a graven image waited to be questioned. Then he gave them it. He told them whose house it was and what his orders were and simply froze them off the doorstep. I could see it all from my alcove, and it was better than any play. I hadn't waited long till there came another ring at the bell. 
The butler made no bones about admitting this new visitor. While he was taking off his coat, I saw who it was. You couldn't open a newspaper or a magazine without seeing that face. The grey beard cut like a spade, the firm fighting mouth, the blunt square nose and the keen blue eyes. I recognised the first sea lord, the man, they say, that made the new British Navy. He passed my alcove and was ushered into a room at the back of the hall. As the door opened, I could hear the sound of low voices. It shut, and I was left alone again. For twenty minutes, I sat there, wondering what I was to do next. I was perfectly convinced that I was wanted, but when or how I had no notion. I kept looking at my watch, and as the time crept on to half-past ten, I began to think that the conference must soon end. In a quarter of an hour, Royer should be speeding along the road to Portsmouth. Then I heard a bell ring, and the butler appeared. The door of the back room opened, and the first sea lord came out. He walked past me, and in passing he glanced in my direction, and for a second we looked each other in the face. Only for a second, but it was enough to make my heart jump. <laughs> I'd never seen the great man before, and he'd never seen me, but in that fraction of time something sprang into his eyes, and that something was recognition. You can't mistake it. It's a flicker, a spark of light, a minute shade of difference which means one thing and one thing only. It came involuntarily, for in a moment it died and he passed on. In a maze of wild fancies I heard the street door close behind him. I picked up the telephone book and looked up the number of his house. We were connected at once and I heard a servant's voice. Is his lordship at home? I asked. And then a servant is on the other end of the phone. You're making Baldrick. His lordship returned half an hour ago said the voice, and he's gone to bed. He's not very well tonight. Will you leave a message, sir? I rang off and almost tumbled into a chair. My part of this business was not yet ended. It had been a close shave, but I had been in time. Not a moment could be lost, so I marched boldly to the door of that back room and entered without knocking. Five surprised faces looked up from a round table. There was Sir Walter, and Drew, the war minister, whom I knew from his photographs. There was a slim elderly man who was probably Whittaker, the Admiralty official. And there was General Wynne Stanley, conspicuous from the long scar on his forehead. Lastly, there was a short, stout man with an iron-grey moustache and bushy eyebrows who had been arrested in the middle of a sentence. Sir Walter's face showed surprise and annoyance. "'This is Mr. Hannay, of whom I have spoken to you,' he said apologetically to the company. "'I'm, I'm afraid, Mr. Hannay, this visit is ill-timed.' I was getting back my coolness. That remains to be seen, sir, I said, but I think I may be in the nick of time. For God's sake, gentlemen, tell me who went out a minute ago. Lord Aloa, said Walter, 
reddening with anger. It was not, I cried. It was his living image, but it was not Lord Aloha. It was someone who recognised me, someone I have seen in the last month. He had scarcely left the doorstep when I rang up Lord Aloha's house and was told he had come in half an hour before and had gone to bed. Who? Who? Someone stammered. The Black Stone, I cried, and I sat down in the chair so recently vacated and looked round at five badly scared gentlemen. End of chapter. So no one thought to just go and follow the guy who's probably not that far away, not that far away. right well, now? Maybe they're about to, but they're, they're just, I don't know. Also, these are government officials. Surely this, like, first admiral, like whatever Cobra guy... Meeting, isn't it? Yeah, it would, but, but surely people would have met him before, and it would have been like... I mean, maybe this was before, you know, biometric ID cards and all the rest of it that probably... Well, again, throwing ourselves back to um, to our who has done this not not months ago, mm. the best way to describe those guys yourself is lots of sort of facial hair, and this guy had a yeah. beard like a spade. So yeah, you know, if you've got a really distinguishable beard, then people are going to kind of go, oh, yeah, that must be him. Yeah. So, you know. They'll just go, oh, he's been at sea for a while. He maybe is like his eyes aren't quite the same or his nose aren't quite the better. You go by the haircut and the... And you see you'll they'll be seeing the black and white photos in the paper, not the not the yeah. real McCoy. So That's true. That's true. Uh, I was expecting there to be more of the Blackstone in that chapter, not just like their agent right at the end. But I mean, at least they found the leak. I'm sure I'm guessing that Lord Deloa is the person who's the leak that Sir Walter was talking about earlier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I'd imagine so. Unless it's the case that that's literally how they're doing it. They're just pretending to be people. I wonder if they like made Lord Alloa, the actual Lord Aloha ill. Like maybe did they slip him something so that they knew that he wouldn't be Is able to Is he tied up in a basement somewhere? Probably. Because <laughs> it does seem like a bit of a risk, doesn't it? Like if you've if you've just turned up at a meeting as somebody, but you don't know if the other person's going to show up or not, that's kind yeah. of a bit of a... Well, they're both just as Lord Aloha. Yeah, <laughs> like exactly. What the devil are you Yeah, exactly. You're not Lord Aloha. Yes, I am. So I'm Lord Aloha. No, shoot I'm him. Lord he's Lord the imposter. No, shoot him. He's the imposter. <laughs> one of those ones, isn't it? <laughs> That's where these farcical things come from. As I say, it's another another instance where you can see how yeah, this book was ripe for farce and ripe for kind of like really being the, having the Mickey no taken out of it. In the West End, because I would. Like, yeah. Love, I see, yeah. Now I really want to see. Watch it, it now. I could, because it would just be ten times funnier. Could I just yeah. say though, I I saw it in the West End, and I do not remember any of this stuff happening. Oh, okay. Yeah, I feel like I need pretty to watch the Hitchcock one because I'm pretty sure a lot mm. of this got stripped out for the movie. Well, let's do let's do uh, Lazy Book Club movie night and watch it together. Yeah, I think that's what yeah. we have to do. I think Extra. we should do that. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. But no, I, I mean it's nice to see that you know the the Blackstone are showing their hand a little bit. But again, just kind of, mm. I'm really waiting for this all to kind of come to blows, and it's kind of not really happening yet. And we've got two, two chapters left. Yeah. So, I mean, there's. I, I reckon there's going to be like a lot's going to happen in the last chapter. It seems to me. It like has to. Everything's going to happen. It'll be one in of those. Chapter. Build it up to the last bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's just all going to hit the fan at the same time. I think well, it is. Well, that time of the episode. I think it's that time. The time, of course, to 
Guess what the next chapter's called? Well, I'm kind of hoping that everyone doesn't just sit there and watch Lord Aloha leave and actually do something. So I might, I'm, I'm going to go with something like The Imposter or like Lord Aloha question mark. <laughs> Lord Aloha. Lord Aloha. <laughs> Chapter nine, Lord Aloha. <laughs> Maybe something about, uh, let's say like the leak or something like that. So it involves, so obviously because then it's like, it's talking just specifically about the leak. I don't know. Let's go for that. I've got no right. idea. No, as usual. Well, I mean, you can have a point for the, if you like. Because the Yay! is in there. But really, gents, we should all prepare, put our fingers on our noses, because chapter nine is called The 39 Steps. Oh, ah! that's the title of the book. That's cheating. <laughs> well, it's, obviously, we know it's going to be important then, don't we? So would you reckon? It, do you reckon that's what's that? That is what Royer is taking. The thirty-nine steps. What literally? Oh, you know, they said that you can see it on when it's high tide and stuff. Is it something physical? Well, it could be something physical that 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 then gave name to a something theoretical. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. It I've, used I've to be thirty-nine members of steps. <laughs> Isn't that it? <laughs> <laughs> Better Originally, better. yeah. Before they did, my boots Five, six, baby, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Thirty-seven, thirty-eight, thirty-nine. My feet good, baby. The worst song ever. <laughs> and the worst dance music. Man, sorrow. And two fall up at 39 steps. That's a little ode to step there, everyone. Yes. Well, if you have any thoughts or opinions on this chapter, you can message us on thelazybookclub at gmail.com. Or if you'd like to suggest which member of Steps you think would play Hannay in a <laughs> remake of the show, then please let us know on Twitter at LazyBookClubPod as always. I'm sure it's got to be H. H for Hannah. He'd do a wonderfully camp job of it, wouldn't he? <laughs> uh, we're on Instagram as well, at Lazy Book Club Pod. Nothing really left to say apart from we'll see you next week for Chapter 9, The 39 Steps, and hopefully we get to the bottom of what the information is, what they're actually trying to stop, you know, the wide everything spirit. really. Yeah, who the, who the bad guys are and what they want. So, yeah, stay tuned for that. We've got a lot of unanswered questions still to go and only two chapters left. Uh, so, we'll see you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.